Good to see you back in the house of the Lord. As Pastor Kelvin has just mentioned, we are into the month of March and we are having our new emphasis. For the month of February, our emphasis was on generosity, especially during the festive season. Trust and hope that all of you have been generous and not just in giving finances, but in different ways uh, of being generous uh, as a person, as an individual. And by the way, do you still remember our February memory verse? <laughs> what was our February memory verse on generosity? Proverbs? I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Brother Lam. <laughs> uh, what was the memory verse? Proverbs? 11.25 Okay, what does it say? Proverbs 11.25 A generous man will prosper And he who refreshes others Will himself be refreshed Right? Good, praise the Lord and this month, for the month of March, we are emphasis, our emphasis is a gospel month. Why gospel month? Because we know that at the end of this month, we will remember the death of our Lord Jesus on the Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday itself. And we know that Christ came. The very purpose is to save us from our sins, so we want to emphasize. And throughout this month, for every message, we will build in the evangelistic message. So we really, really encourage all of you to take the opportunity to invite your friends, especially those who have not yet known the Lord, to come and uh, join us for the services so that they can get to hear the gospel. And for this emphasis, we will also have a new memory verse for the month. I hope you are catching up with your memory verse. If not, Please see your cell leaders. <laughs> okay, let's take a look at the memory verse uh, for this month. It's based on Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And uh, it is also a short memory verse. Can we all read this together? Uh, Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. A very short memory verse, and this is what will be my emphasis today. And this verse says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and confess in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But what does it mean to be saved? And why is there a need to be saved? To be saved simply means to be rescued from danger. You are in a dangerous situation and you cannot save yourself. You need somebody to save you. Just for example, if you are drowning. Uh, you are drowning. First time you go down to the water, second time you are going down to the water and you need somebody to help you. Somebody has to rescue you. Or you are trapped in a burning house. The firefighter have to get to you, have to reach you because you can't get out yourself. You need somebody to save you. Or you are caught in a car accident, you are trapped inside. Thankfully, you are still alive, but you can't get out because the doors are jammed. You need the firefighters to come and rescue you. Right? 
To be saved means to be rescued from dangers. It means that a person is in a precarious situation and needs others to help save him. Does it mean that mankind needs to be saved? Are we in such a precarious situation that we need others to save us? What do you think the answer is? The answer is yes. Yes, we all need to be saved. All right, and uh, spiritually, we are in real danger of losing our soul, and therefore, we need to be saved. And the question I would like to ask all of us is: Are you safe? Are you sure you are safe? That is the topic of my message. Are you sure you are safe? Why do I ask this question? In a church full of believers, full of Christians, you may be surprised that some of us here may not be very sure of our salvation, especially the second, third generation Christians. And if you are sure you are saying, praise the Lord, this message will serve as an affirmation to affirm our faith. And to some, maybe it is a time of, uh, if you are in a state of uncertainty, maybe a time of uh, recommitment and dedication so that you will be assured. It, will, it can be a time of the renewal of faith. And as Christians, we need to be reminded of our belief. And we must be convinced once again that the Christian faith is sensible, the Christian faith is based on truth, Right? And uh, 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 it's, it's not that, you know, it's just full of uh, stories. We know that the Christian faith is very interesting. We have many interesting stories, but those stories are historical stories, meaning those stories are true. Uh, we have the birth of Jesus, you know, uh, a, a woman that is uh, miraculously conceived of the Holy Spirit, a virgin who was, uh, you know, who was uh, not married, who had no sex with men, but she was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Amazing story. We have uh, Jesus born in the manger. We have the shepherd that heard the angels singing. And then we have the wise men. These are beautiful stories. How many of the world religious founders have this amazing story. This story is not man-made story. This story is his story. History is his story. God wrote the story for us, and it is historical. And so, the Christian faith, I want you to know that it's sensible. It's not because we have all this interesting story, but it's based on faith, it's based on historical fact, it's based on truth. And for those of you here, perhaps in our midst, there will be some of you who are not a believer, you are here to explore. You are here to seek. You are here because you want to know the truth, you want to find out the truth. You are here, you are considering the Christian faith. Then, let me tell you, you are at the right place. You are at the right place at the right time. You will come to understand why you need a saviour. So is there a need to be saved? So let's talk about the need to be saved. There is a need to be saved because first of all, let me tell you that God is angry with mankind. Wow. God is angry with mankind. What, what does it mean? Uh, let's turn to the book of Romans. And uh, this will really be my preaching from the book of Romans. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 10. Right? And we just want to look at the very first chapter of the book of Rome, uh, book of Roman, 
And here it tells us that God is angry with men. Right? Reading from the NLT, verse 18 to verse 20. But God showed his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he had made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Though everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. In this short passage of scripture, it tells us that God is angry with mankind. Why? Because men are sinful, men are weaker. Why are they sinful and weaker? Because they suppress the truth. So in other words, rejecting the truth is sin. Because when we reject the truth, we are rejecting God because God is truth. We are rejecting Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And therefore, God said that because they suppress the truth, they reject the truth, they do not want to accept the truth, which God himself is the truth, it is a sin. God called them sinful, God called them wicked, and God was angry. And then it is a deliberate rejection. This rejection is not because they are naive, no. The Bible here tells us that they have seen the creative power of God. It's all written in creation that God exists, that there is a creator. But they did not want to acknowledge God. Instead, they worship many idols. God said, you have no excuse for not knowing that I exist. So they refuse to worship God. They worship many idols. They wanted to worship, but yet they do not want to worship this God whose handiworks are all over the place that we can see, we can feel, we can touch. But they chose to worship idols, and God was angry. Man has not changed. What is described here about the condition of man about 2,000 years ago is still true today. Man is still rejecting the truth. Man is still refusing to acknowledge God. And man instead worship all sorts of idols, both seen and unseen. There are seen idols that you carve with your hand, but there are, seen, there are unseen idols in your heart, in your mind. Right? You are worshipping something else. So in his righteous anger, what did God do? In his righteous anger, the Bible says, God abandoned man to their depravity. Can you imagine, he said, God abandoned men. Wow, that is very serious. God abandoned men. It is a sad thing to be abandoned. An abandoned child is pathetic. An abandoned child has no sense of worth. Abandoned child has no sense of belonging. An abandoned child constantly lives in the state of rejection. They are traumatized psychologically and emotionally. But why did God abandon us? Look at verse 24, the same chapter. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful thing their hearts desire. As a result, they did war and degrading things with each other's bodies. God abandoned them. 
What abandonment? Why? Because men do shameful things. What are the shameful things? Look at the description. It is so true of what is happening in our world, to, in our world today. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worship and serve the things God created instead of God, instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Second time, the word abandon is you. God abandoned them to what? To their shameful desires. What are those shameful desires? Even the women turn against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burn with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. How true it is in our world today. People are going into unnatural sexes, and they are promoting it, and they take pride in it. Verse 28, since they thought it's foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking. Third time, the Bible tells us that God abandoned men. He abandoned them to do their shameful thing, their shameful desire, and now He abandoned them to their foolish thinking. It's not just the behavior that was foolish, but the thoughts was foolish. It's foolishness when you go against God, right? And let them do things that should never be done. And what are the things that they shouldn't be doing, but yet they are doing? Verse 29, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backsteppers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Wow. People are inventing new ways of sinning against God. Frightening, isn't it? We are living in a frightening world. People are thinking of ways to sin. Not thinking of ways to do good, but thinking of ways to sin. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do this thing deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. And now you understand why God abandoned men. Simply put it, we are faced with a sin problem. We are faced with the same problem. We are bogged down with sin. We are getting from bad to worse and from worse to worst. Just the fact of human race. We live a frustrated life, helpless. No peace, no hope. The need to be saved because God is angry with them, with men. Not only that, God's judgment is real. When God is angry with men, He will meet up His judgment. God's judgment is real. Right? Because God's justice requires the sin is to be punished. Just like the just judge, right? they punish sin. The just judge has to do the right thing, either to award the good or to punish the evil. And in this case, God as a righteous God, because He is a just God, because He's a holy God, He cannot accept sin, 
Therefore, in his justice, he declared his judgment. Turn to the next chapter, Romans chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 6. And we continue to see what the Bible says of what God said about man. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do this very same thing. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such thing. You see, God himself will punish those who do such thing. Since you judge others for doing this thing, the question is what? Do you think you... Let's move on to the next place. Right? Do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? Do you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? And let's skip down to verse 5. He says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. God is saying that there is a time of judgment. Nowadays, we seldom hear about people talking about God's judgment. We seldom hear about messages on God's judgment. Why? Because we say, Pastor, don't preach like that. Lah. It's not politically correct. We want to hear politically correct messages. We want to soften you know, the message. But the truth cannot be watered down. And if this is what God say, we have to proclaim what God say. We have to say what God say. Because what God say, we need to hear. We need to listen. And so you realize that there is judgment and no man can escape judgment because Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7 says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So judgment is real. If it's not here now, it will be in eternity. And there is such thing as hell. Again, we say, hey, don't talk about hell, pastor. Don't talk about hell. But there is such a thing as hell, whether you talk about it or not. So in the book of Revelation, verse, uh, chapter 20, book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11 to verse 15, right? And uh, let me just read this out, all right? And I saw a great white throne, the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky, yep, fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. What does he say? And the dead were judged. Judgment. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. 
This lake of fire is a second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And this lake of fire is what the Bible calls hell. Nobody likes to talk about hell because hell is not a pleasant place. Nobody likes to talk about hell because it is not nice to talk about it. People want, nowadays want to hear nice things. People want to hear sweet talk. But the Bible tells us the truth, that there is a judgment. Because God is angry with men, God abandoned them due to their sin, and in His righteousness, in His justice, He had to mete out judgment. And the result of the judgment is condemnation, and the condemnation is a place called hell. In fact, Jesus himself said it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body that cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who say the word hell? Jesus, not me. I'm only quoting Jesus. Jesus himself said that don't fear those people who will hurt you, who harm you, who persecute you. Right? He's talking to believers who may face persecution. They may reject them. Huh? People may uh, 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 come against them. They may even kill them. We have people who die as a martyr for Christian faith. And Jesus said, they don't be afraid of those who only kill your body that cannot touch your soul. But afraid with the one, fear God. Because God is the only one who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. That is frightening. So do not live in denial. Let this reality sink in. If we are not on the way to heaven, then we are on the way to hell. Jesus said it. As simple as it. There is a north pole, there is a south pole, there is a heaven and there is a hell. Therefore, we need to be saved. Stay from darkness to light, from being lost to being found again, and from hell to heaven. That is the message, the gospel message that we need to hear. But the question is, how can we be saved? We need to be saved, but how can we be saved? The ancient approach is through the message of the law. Let's see how people try to be saved. It's through the message of the law. And now we turn to our main part of the message, Romans chapter 10. And that's where our memory verse comes from, right? Romans chapter 10. And we want to look at verse 1 to verse 3. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with Himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. By the way, I'm reading from the NLT, all the scripture verses for today. Now, verse 1, Paul was praying for the people of Israel to be saved. When he prayed for them to be saved, it means what? It means that they were not saved even though they claimed they know God. They claimed that they were God's chosen people, but they were still not saved. That's why Paul said that my prayer for them is that they will be saved. But yet they claim that they know this God. Right? They claim that God has chosen them. In other words, they have a false sense of security. It is very dangerous 
to have a false sense of security is one of the most dangerous things. Right? You are not safe, but you think you are safe. That is a false sense of security. And I would like to ask all of us here, Christians seated here, do we have a false sense of security? We claim we know Jesus. Right? We claim we are safe. But are you sure you are safe? That's my question. Do we have a false sense of security? Hope not. All right, come, let's continue with the message. What is the false sense of security? The false sense of security is based on human efforts. It's based on human efforts. In fact, the, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, they were very enthusiastic in trying to keep the law. They said, that, yeah, 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 we will be saved because we are God's chosen people. We keep the law. We have the Ten Commandments. We have all the laws that God has given to us. We have the Torah. We will be saved. But Paul said that your zeal, your enthusiasm is misdirected. You are misdirected. You think so? You think that you are really uh, 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 getting saved, but you actually do not understand God's way. You are merely doing it out of human effort. You don't fully understand God's way. You were overconfident of your ability to keep the law. That's why they have the Pharisee to keep the law. You know, and they think, oh, we will be saved because we keep the law. So they depended on their human way. You see, most people will try this approach, even other religions. Do good. Keep the law. Keep the commandment. Keep all the religious teaching. Correct or not? Whatever scriptures you have, you know, keep them to the letter of the law. Do everything that is required by the religion. Carry out all the rituals. Right? Try to be religious. Try to be holy. Try to keep to the strict requirement of the religion. But in so doing, they try to establish their own righteousness. Right? This is what Paul was saying. Okay? You say that they are trying to keep their own way. They are trying to accomplish their own way. Alright? So they try to come to God with their own terms. They think that by doing certain things and behaving in certain way, they will be accepted by God. They work hard. Work hard to earn God's favor. How many of us were like that? Before we became Christian, we work hard. Maybe we were, you know, we were worshipping a certain form of idols and we really carry out all the rituals. Maybe we did a lot of religious things in order to try to earn favour, in order to build up our credit or our marriage, in order to earn God's favour. But let me tell you, we don't need to earn God's favour. Because we can't earn it. God's favor is given. Out of His love, He gave us His favor. We can't earn it by our own merit. So, are you trying too hard to be saved? A drowning person cannot save himself, no matter how hard he tries. The more he struggles, the more he will sink. He needs someone else to come and save him. And for him to be saved, what should the drowning man do? Don't struggle. Don't struggle. The more you struggle, 
the more difficult it is for the lifeguard to save you. You just need to relax and trust the lifeguard to know what to do to save him. Jesus is more than a lifeguard. He is a life giver. He is a life giver and he knows what to do to save us. So are you having a false sense of security, thinking that you are safe but you are not? This can happen even in church, you know. We think that by coming to church, doing some things, you know, serving God, uh, getting busy, you know, we will be safe. No. We serve God not because we want to be safe. We serve God out of thankfulness for what He has done. God loves us. He saves us. We love God by serving Him. I know of people who are not Christian, but they go to church. They want to, do, they want to follow the Christian. They go to church. They want to help out in all the charities work that the church do. They even go caroling. Why? Nice word. It's also good. Word. Maybe when I do all this, you know, God is more pleased with me. But I don't need to receive Jesus. I go to church, you know, right? I was told there was one person who had been in church for so long, and, but the person had not accepted Jesus and nobody know. And what do you know? What do you know what she did? She taught Sunday school. She even taught Sunday school, but she was not a believer, and she didn't know she was not saved. And the church didn't know, because she come to church so regularly, she like to get involved. She like to do a lot of things. So sometimes people say that if I go to church, I do religious things, it's alright, I will be saved. But she was not teaching Sunday school, but she was not saved. But later, praise the Lord, she realized it, and she accepted Jesus. She got saved, she went to Bible school, and she became a servant of God. You see? Like God is gracious. We still need to be saved. So if you are in church, maybe we don't know. And sometimes maybe we think you are Christian, maybe you are not. We don't know. Only you know. Only you know if you have received Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior. Only you know if you truly have a relationship with God or not. You will know if you are truly saved, as we move along. So if you think by doing all these things, by keeping the message of the law, you will be saved, you are mistaken. It is a false sense of security. Alright? So don't have a false sense of security. In other words, through the message of the law, no one can be saved. It is false security. It does not lead us to heaven. This is because the law is based on the old revelation. The law is based on the old revelation, right? And what is the old revelation? The Jews prided themselves as having God's revelation. Uh, but they failed to follow God's way to see that God has given mankind a new revelation with the coming of Jesus. Not that the law was no good, the law was good. In fact, the psalmist tells us that the law is perfect. It's just that imperfect human being cannot keep the perfect law. So in, in that sense, you know, the law was not able to save us because no man can keep the law fully. Right? And so God has given a new revelation, but they are still holding on to the old revelation that could not save them completely. The old revelation was only building the foundation. The old revelation was only leading them towards the new revelation, but they refused to be led to the old revelation. They continue to hold on to the Lord. They continue to hold on to the whole uh, uh, old things. They rejected Christ. 
and they refuse to accept Christ himself, it's a new revelation. They were not willing to discard the whole old to take on to the new. They were not willing to let go of the incomplete to embrace the complete. The ways of the law was not enough to save. They were not willing to forego the letter of the law in order to be filled with the Spirit of God. So the message of the law is good, but not good enough to save us. The message of the law, in fact, reveals our lack and it reveals our need to be saved. It shows us how weak we are. It shows us how incapable we are trying to save ourselves by our own human effort by observing the law. It shows us that weakness. Why? Because everyone, I can tell you everyone, right from the beginning until today, everyone who tries to keep the law fails except one that is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said that I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And he was the only one who could fulfill the law. And because he was the one that was able to fulfill the law, then he fulfilled it on our behalf. It's through him that we can be made perfect. So the message of the law was insufficient. Then come the new revelation, and this brings us to the message of faith. The message of faith. And this is where right, all of us, need to pay attention. Romans chapter 10, continuing, uh, verse 4, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Wonderful. He said he is the one that accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. The message of the law, no one can keep except Jesus Christ. He was able to fulfill it, accomplish it, and because he was able to do it, as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. We are made right with God through Jesus Christ. It is very clearly stated here that the message of faith is not based on the law, but to all who believe in Christ. In other words, we piggyback on Him. We piggyback on Christ. When we see Christ hanging on the cross, we can see ourselves superimposed on Him. Because by right, we should be the one that died. We should be the one that's dying for our sin. But Christ now hung on the cross. I want you to imagine in your mind that yes, what we see, uh, the crucifix, it was Jesus, but I want you to superimpose yourself on it. I should be the one who died. But Christ died there. He bore my sin. He bore my burden. We merely piggyback on him. He took our place. He bore our sin. All we need to do is simply putting our faith in him. And now come to our key verses, our team verse. Chapter 10, uh, let's look at verse 8, second part of verse 8, and move on right until verse 13. And the message is the very message about faith that we preach. Alright? Yeah. Okay, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
This is the message of faith that we are talking about. And the message of faith is very simple. You want to be saved? You want to know that you are truly saved? First thing you need to do is to confess Jesus is Lord. Verbal confession of faith is important. Uh, you have to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. You cannot be a secret Christian. You need to confess it openly. But I want you to know the background of this. When Paul says that you confess Jesus is Lord, he's wrote it in the background of the Roman Empire. The Christians were under persecution. And in fact, in the Roman Empire, who do they worship? They worship the Roman Emperor. And they have to declare their allegiance to the Roman Emperor. And they must say, Caesar is Lord. But the Christians refuse to say Caesar is Lord. Right? When they say Caesar is Lord, they are in a way confessing the emperor worship because that's how they do it. They worship the emperor. They declare Caesar is Lord, right? But then the Christians say, no, it's not Caesar is Lord. It's Jesus is Lord. And when they confess Jesus is Lord, what will happen? The Roman will say that you are a betrayer. You are a traitor. Uh, you do not, you know, you are not, you know, loyal to the Roman Empire. They can be persecuted. And so to them, to say Jesus is not, it's not just like us, you know, sing song, he is Lord, he is Lord. It is a declaration of their faith and legion. It's at the pain of death. It's at the pain of being persecuted, being arrested, being tortured, being thrown into the lion's den, fighting the lions in the arena, Wow, it's not easy. But when we read this, just say Jesus is Lord. But to them, it's a choice between death and life. They choose physical death in order to earn eternal life. But if they choose physical life to declare Jesus is Lord and not Jesus, they are choosing the way of condemnation. It's a choice. It's a commitment of who do you want, which way you want to go. The way to heaven or the way to hell. And for us Christians, let us not be afraid or ashamed to even call Jesus is Lord. Sometimes we are so afraid that the people will know that we are Christian. And we are ashamed to identify ourselves with Christian. Why should we be? If we are truly saved, we must be proud of our identity. We are the children of God. We must be proud of our identity that we are on the way to heaven. We must be proud. We proudly declare Jesus is Lord. Right? By confessing we are saved, it's not just simply saying the sinner's prayer. That is important, I know. It's not just simply repeating what somebody tells us to repeat. That is important, I know. But do you know that some people repeat it without understanding it? Do you know that in a lot of healing rally, uh, just they come to the altar, they want to be healed, you ask them to say the sinner prayer, they will say, but how many of them are truly saved? That depends on whether they believe or not. I have talked to people at the altar, at the healing rally, and to ask them, you want to receive Jesus? They will tell you, yes, they want to pray, you know, they want to receive Jesus. And some of them tell me, I will try. I'll try to see whether he healed me or not. They will say the prayer and try it. And what I gather is that, that if they get healed, yes, they will continue to believe. But if they don't get healed, it's okay, I just say the prayer only, but I don't really believe. So, 
when we say confessing Jesus, it's just not confessing, oh, come to my life, that's it, and doesn't mean it. You say you confess Jesus is Lord, it continues to say what? Believe Jesus rose from the dead, you must believe in your heart. It's not just what your mouth say, but your heart must believe what you say. It's not just saying the sinner prayer, but believing right, what you are praying and really wanting Jesus to be the Lord of your life. The song we have just sung, Jesus be the center of it all. When we say Jesus is Lord, it simply means Jesus is the center of my life. Jesus is not the servant of my life. Jesus is the center of my life. And how many times we Christians, you know, have fallen into this grave sin of treating our Lord as our servant. Jesus, do this for me, we pray. Jesus, do that for me, we pray. Jesus, I want this. Jesus, I want that. Jesus, why didn't you answer my prayer? Who we think our Lord is? Our messenger? Our servant that do our bidding? But to declare Jesus is not mean Jesus, you are the center. It's not my will, your will be done. That's what Jesus prayed to the Father. And believe with all our heart. By believing in Jesus means that we believe that he died for our sin according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That is the gospel message. And we have to believe that that message is true. If you are a Christian and you're still doubting whether Jesus is risen from the dead or not, then you have a problem. As a Christian believer, you have to be truly convinced that Jesus died for our sin. I believe with all my heart and Jesus is risen from the dead. I believe with all my heart because there are still many people in the world that question the resurrection of Jesus. And that cannot be questioned as far as a Christian is concerned. You have to be 100% convinced and fully convinced. That's why I say that this story is not a fable. It's not a man-make-up story. It's God's story. It's God's history. And it is true that Jesus is risen from the dead. That's why you have to believe with all your hearts. You claim to be a Christian, but you are still a bit doubtful about, I'm not very sure. Actually, I'm not very sure Jesus rose from the dead or not. But I just believe only, you know. No, you have to be very convinced. When you want to be truly saved, whatever you say, Jesus is not, you have to make sure Jesus is the center of your life and you have to be convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead. Because you don't believe that, then you will not believe in your own resurrection. If you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you will not believe in your own resurrection and you do not believe in your own resurrection, you will not be saved. You know why? Because in heaven are full of resurrected people. Right. We are all will be resurrected. We will be putting on a new body. You don't believe in your own resurrection. You cannot go up to heaven. You won't be changed. You have to believe in the resurrection. So you can see the gospel message is so simple, but it is so packed with divine truth. It's so solid. It speaks about our present and our eternal future. And the Bible says, it is through putting our faith in Jesus, we are justified. We are justified means we are made right. And those who believe will not be put to shame. It will not be disgraced. Let us learn from the sad experience 
or Peter, who denied the Lord three times. It was a horrible ordeal for Peter, and it took him a long while right, to forgive himself, to ask the Lord forgiveness, and it took him a long while to come out of it. He denied the Lord, he was ashamed. But if you are willing to make a stand up for Jesus, the Bible says we will not be put to shame. Because in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, everyone who acknowledged me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Church, if you are truly safe, you will not be ashamed of Christ. If you are ashamed of Christ, means you are still not very sure. You still have doubt in your mind. That's why you dare not openly declare you are Christian. You dare not openly let people know you are Christian. You still want to hide your Bible, and nowadays, better still, no need to carry Bible to church. It's just a handphone. How I wish the time that all of us carry the Bible to church, even though you leave your Bible behind, I still like it. Of course, you're not supposed to leave your Bible behind. Uh. Now we collect very little Bible because people don't bring Bible to church. The Bible is the Word of God. Your handphone is not the Word of God. <laughs> I cannot raise up the handphone and say this is the Word of God, but I can raise up the Bible and tell you this is the Word of God. Alright? Okay, worship team, come, come on stage. And not only that, you know, that we, for the message of faith, say that we have to confess Jesus as Lord, we have to believe in the heart that God rose from the dead. And I got good news for you that this gospel is all inclusive. Uh, it's all inclusive because in verse 12 and verse 13, it says that Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this gospel message is for all, for the young, for the old. Regardless of race, you know, regardless of religious belief, you know, it's for them. It's for everyone they can come to faith. Right? And we are all saved in the same way. By confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Do you believe in this message of faith? Are you afraid to confess Jesus is Lord because of fear of rejection? Are you afraid that your family cannot accept it? Or are you afraid that you may hurt some of your family members, especially your parents, if you are younger? I understand that feeling as I have gone through that before. And many of us first-generation Christians, when we accepted the Lord as a young people, we all gone through that. Uh, the family will not be able to accept, but does that mean that I cannot accept Jesus? Does that mean that if I accept Jesus, I'm dishonoring my parents? No. I came to a realization that my faith is my personal relationship with God. I need to make right with God before I can help others. It is like you are drowning and somebody is throwing you a lifeline. You don't ask your family member, you don't ask your friend, shall I reach out to the lifeline or not? You don't ask, you grab the lifeline because you want to be saved, you are drowning. You don't ask people whether they want to grab or not. If many of them are drowning at the same time and you have different lifeguard throwing out the lifeline to you. If other people don't grab, you also need to grab. They don't grab, they won't get saved, but you grab, you get saved. And it's when I realize that when I need to need Jesus, it's only when I grab it, you know, I get saved, then I can help others. I can share with my families. 
they may not accept then. But then later they can accept. You know, but if I myself is not safe, I cannot help others. I cannot share with them the gospel. I cannot bring them along to heaven if I myself is not going there. But if I know that I'm going to heaven, I can bring them along. They may refuse initially, but over time, when they look at my life change, when they see the changes in your life, they see your testimony, they hear the message that you share, they will come to faith. And yesterday, we received a very exciting news. We know last, uh, last week, Pastor Kelvin's wife, uh, Sister Carries, was sharing about how hard not the mother was and, you know, God saved her. And yesterday, we have a dear sister whose father, I think it is late 80s or 90, right? And Sister Carmen, her father gone through a surgery. We were very concerned. We were praying. And he accepted the Lord. Praise the Lord. He accepted the Lord. Give God a clap of praise. It is possible. But you need to be saved first yourself. Don't say, my parents don't let me become a Christian. If you don't become a Christian, how are you going to save them? You have to get saved yourself. So if that is your concern, friend, you are not dishonoring your parents. In fact, you are doing it. You will honor them when you bring them to the Lord. Alright? Yes. So that is what we are going through. Similarly, similarly, all of us can do the same. Coming back to the question, are you sure you are saved? What is your answer to this question? Shall we all pray?